We have news both happy and sad, a big division recap, and much more on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we're back again. Episode number 208 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and we have some news on a variety of different topics, and we have some discussion on all of that, but, you know, both of us are kind of, we're here today. That's the best way of describing it. This is one of those episodes where both of us are just kind of present. Present, just got to grind it out. That's what the great ones do. Exactly. It's it's just like we have the news. We gotta do it. It's the starting part of a very long day. So you just kinda gotta you gotta find the will to finish this show. Uh, yeah. That's my name. <laughs> you know, that wasn't even intentional, but it worked out. And I feel like that's the best way to describe this show. It wasn't yeah. intentional, but it worked out. But it worked out. Yeah. And one thing that is currently working its way out, and we hope to have a positive resolution to it, is Hinchcliffe Stadium. And that's where we start today's show. Because the New Jersey Jackals have a little bit of a problem, a hiccup, you might say, in Hinchcliffe. Which is, if they make the postseason, which is always a big if in a league that uses a more traditional playoff format. You know, your two top division teams and a third wildcard team. That's all that makes it in the Frontier League. Each division has three playoff teams. If the Jackals get that far, they won't be playing their home games at home. That's to say, they won't be allowed to play home playoff games at Hinchcliffe Stadium, their new ballpark, their new home in Patterson, New Jersey. Why is this? It is because there is conflicts with both soccer and high school football in Patterson. So because the Board of Ed owns the stadium, they had a discussion with these conflicting dates with El Dorso, owner of the Jackals, to try and mediate this, try to find an acceptable solution to not uh, not stepping on each other's toes here. Because obviously the Board of Ed wants to use this for the high school athletics, the team would obviously like to use it for, you know, their own games, seeing as they are a tenant in the stadium. Ultimately, Dorsa was the one that was willing to back off and say, we'll give you the dates. We'll, we'll move our games to my other stadium in Skyland. So if you are a Jackals fan, they make the postseason, and you want to see a home playoff game, you'll have to go up to Augusta, New Jersey at Skyland Stadium, home of the Miners for the Jackals playoff games. Now, it's a decision that is supported by the mayor and the board of ed, and it is a dorsal's way of trying to be an asset to the community, trying to, you know, give a little ground on some things that aren't even certain, some things that may be a bit minor. I mean, he's still going to go ahead and pull in all the revenue from those games anyway, still at his ballpark, just switching around some dates, and realistically, the only two playoff rounds from which the Jackals would have an issue, you know, scheduling with the Miners, there's a very good chance that they could be playing the Miners. So, with that said, it's a uh, it's not the worst outcome, but it is kind of a wonky scheduling uh, hiccup, I guess would be the best way of putting it. Yeah, and I guess there's um, 
and maybe it maybe it won't end up mattering at all just based on how the Jackals do this season. But you know, it kind of seems like to me that they kind of didn't really have a choice just because if the Board of Ed owns the ballpark, then at the end of the day they get the last say in how the ballpark is used and such. Um, I mean, it's obviously not a great situation, but and here's the other thing, like, yeah, this is a problem for this year, but is this always going to be a problem? Like, is this going to be a problem long-term? Like if it's just a one year thing and then like, all right, we'll, we'll make a more long-term solution afterwards and fine. Like that's all right. But if this is a long-term thing, then it's probably not a good thing. Um, not a good thing at all. So uh, I guess for, for one year, for one year, it's fine. And maybe it won't end up mattering at all. But I think that this is a long-term thing that's going to need to be figured out because it is not sustainable and it's not fair to the Jackal fans long-term for them to, whenever they may or may not return to the playoffs down the road, say, all right, your home games are, your, your, your home games are in Sussex. Like th- there has to be a longer term solution here that they're going to have to figure out beyond this year. Uh, because if, even though it's fine, you can get by for this year, you're going to have to figure this out long term. Yeah. I think you bring up a point about it just isn't fair to fans. And I would agree with that. I mean, if you, if you're a Patterson local, like they're trying to pull in, like that's been their critical key demographic is, we want to get the community involved. We want to get the community games. We want to do all this. It's not exactly a short jump from Patterson up to Skylands. I mean, it's a little bit of a hike, no. you know? So I'm not sure if you're going to be getting as many people that are going to be willing to say, yeah, let me go drive 40 some odd minutes, nearly an hour out to Skylands to see a minor league baseball game. That's not exactly, you know... I'd say a realistic goal here. There's a reason why you're able to have a team in Skylands and a team in Patterson because they have some distance between each other. So that's that's one level of it. The other level of it, and that you said is, you know, hopefully it's just a one-year thing. I'm not certain that it is a one-year thing because if you think about it, there's always going to be high school sports, always going to be high school athletics. And the board of it, already i don't think loves having to share this building with a tenant i think they kind of were like hey we want the building to ourselves it's more or less that we need to have a tenant here and so as a result we will do it but we really kind of want them to be you know second fiddle to whatever we're doing and if that's the case then you know i just don't see this as like okay one or two years the board of egg gets it, then we get it back for all our games. I just don't think that's the case. I think it's going to become a permanent thing moving forward. If for no other reason than just, I don't see it as, you know, the kind of thing that can be fixed by just one year passing. It, the problem yeah. the problem is high school sports, and that's not going anywhere. The Jackals have a better chance of going somewhere than Patterson High School is not playing there. So it would take something, you know, fairly significant i think to change that so i in my view i kind of view this as a permanent moving forward type of thing yeah i would agree and listen i i understand why this decision was made like now it's just like um at the end of the day like they're 
it's it's a pretty crummy situation long term uh if that's a thing but then again like you think of what is more profitable for like dorso and the team at the end of the day it's not like playoff games are like that well attended just True. because it's like september like the games that dorso cares about like money wise is are like those weekends in like july and august and stuff like that or, or even True. june so I guess it's not. It, it's more. I'm more thinking of it from a from a fan's perspective. Uh, that makes it tough. So I mean, you'd you'd hope you'd be a way to um, try and somehow schedule around it long term. But you're right, Nick. I think it's it, it's a it's a tough situation. You can understand why the decision was made uh, now for for that reason. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate them making the decision now. Obviously, I mean, having to wait until like. You know, the end of August when you're in the middle of a playoff hunt and fans are all excited and they're like, oh, good, we're going to get to see postseason baseball. Only to pull the rug out on them, that would be very bad. I mean, then we'd really have a, a critical discussion to have about the whole thing. But that said, you know, uh, it is disappointing. And uh, I hope they got something good back in exchange. I hope they got, you know, some of those May dates where they can kind of bump the high schools out in favor of their own games for that. I, I hope that was the concession or something along those lines, because to just concede the dates for nothing, I understand being a good neighbor, but that's just, it sets a bad precedent and it sets, a, in my opinion, a bad foundation uh, going forward. You know, I, I have no problem, you know, saying, we'll give you this, but if you're going to be giving them something, mm-hmm. you should be getting something in return too. If for yeah. nothing else, then you just keep it, a more uh i guess professional for lack of a better word kind of relationship between the board of ed and the and the team itself uh but i right. will say in in the article and everything's linked in the show notes what i find to be extremely funny is that Dorso says he's disappointed at the criticism coming from naysayers in recent months so i guess about the whole Hinchcliffe thing and, and concerns so would we be considered some of those naysayers? I don't think so. Because We've been pretty positive about it. That's what I think. Although we have said in the past, like, I don't know about Patterson. Like, that's going to be a problem. So, like, I'd like to believe that we're not the naysayers, but I could also equally see us being included in that group. I mean, if we are, well. Then, I mean, like, it is. Yeah. If, he, if we are, then I already got the title. Of this episode, I don't think I really don't think we are though. I like I said, I really hope we're not because, like you said, I think we've been fairly upbeat about it. Like obviously we've voiced some concerns, but I think there are concerns in the situation. Like for example, the lack of playoff games. You mentioned like you're probably not getting that much revenue, but it is a buzzkill if you're a fan of the team that lives in Patterson. You know, like. You kind of want to be able to be in your home ballpark, even if the dimensions are kind of, you know, wonky. Plus, not to mention the team building aspect of it. You build a team to play in your ballpark, not somebody else's ballpark. So, you know, now to have to go and do all that there, you know, is that great? Yeah, exactly. It is It is tough, I think, on the players as well. I'm not, and not a great situation for them, I think. That kind of falls by the wayside in all of this, but um, yeah, I'd agree. It's it, it's kind of a tough blow if you kind of make the championship series or whatever, 
and you can't play in the ballpark you've been playing at for, for the whole year. It's yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. Yeah. Especially if you're a minors player too, if you think about it like that, where now your field's getting extra worn out, <laughs> you know, sure. It's only a couple of games, but it's still kind of annoying. You know, you still would like your field in tip top shape, not having a game out the day before, even though like well, I said, that, that's if they're playing each other. You know? like, yeah. Maybe one of them's out. You never know. Yeah. I'm just assuming the case where they're both playing, because in that case, they're going to be playing every game at Skylands unless one has a bye. True. Yeah, it's true. In which case, and even, I mean, because I'm thinking about the probability. Of, I mean, if both teams make the postseason, there's obviously the possibility of one gets the bye, the other one doesn't, and then loses in the first round. But I still think the odds of them playing each other would be very good. So uh, either way, is what it is. It was worth mentioning, so uh, we mentioned it. And I think we said just about everything we can about Hinchcliffe. And uh, on that note, we can swing over to the to another one of the pieces of news. We have a whole bunch of miscellaneous ones, and we have our, at this point, uh, weekly uh, silver team update because we're doing one a week, it looks like, now in the Atlantic League. I, thought, I really thought we were going to do two a week, but it seems like we're slowing down to one a week unless... The plan is as we, you know, get up to opening day, we're doing one a day, in which case uh, that that is a decision to do it like that. But uh, any case, we have the name of the next player on the Silver team, and that is Lincoln Michelson. Now, I didn't realize that it was pronounced Michelson until I read the press yeah. release. I always that's thought a great, that's a great addition in the in the press release. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I've been calling him Lincoln Mickelson for a while because it looks like that with two K's in there. You would think the K sound would be there and it wouldn't be a Michelson, but it is. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, but it is Michelson. Lincoln Michelson joins the 25th anniversary team. He's the third pitcher on the team, the second starter on the team. He has had a career record of 62-36 and 36 with a 3.48 ERA all-time in the Atlantic League, two-time postseason All-Star, four-time All-Star in general, a two-time Pitcher of the Year, and honestly, one of the most impressive accolades he has on here, he was also the Player of the Year in 2006. So he won both Pitcher and Player, a feat that is very difficult to accomplish in any league, but especially in the Atlantic League. He is one of five pitchers to throw a no-hitter in the Atlantic League, and he is fifth all-time in wins and innings pitched, with third all-time in complete games. And I, of course, would be remiss if I didn't mention that 2006 season that saw him take home all that hardware. In 175 and one-third innings, he had a 15-5 and record. I understand wins or whatever, but what's impressive is the ERA, which is a 1.85 ERA with 122 strikeouts to only 46 walks and 127 hits against. A pretty damn good year in 06, and you can see why he was both the player of the year and pitcher of the year. So Lincoln Michelson joins the team that already has Garfolo, Kane, Murray, and Nettles on it. Yeah, I mean, Lincoln Michelson, that, that it is so hard. I always have a an extra amount of respect for guys who look for any pitcher that is able to win player of the year. I mean, in any in any sort of thing, um, just because in, in any league or whatnot, because it is just so hard. 
you have to be so good uh, as a pitcher to be named player to be named player of the year, MVP. What you can call it, whatever you want. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Michelson had a long career. Uh, a guy with a, a 3.48 career ERA in the Atlantic League in seven seasons—that's an impressive mark over seven years. Yeah. Uh, and and obviously the the only pitcher to win the Player of the Year as well. But yeah, I think definitely definitely a no-brainer uh, as well. But I think uh, just just really cool to see him honored as well. And I think that yeah, that it is so it is so impressive at any point to win. Um, player of the year as a starting pitcher, uh, which shows how inc- how incredible that 2006 season was uh, for Michaelson. So definitely, definitely well deserved. Uh, and congrats to him because he had a, a brilliant career in the Atlantic League. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy that I think really doesn't get talked about as much as he should be in independent circles because those those numbers are impressive. And I really do think 06 is. One of, if not the best pitching season or season by a pitcher yeah. in not just the Atlantic Lakes history, but likely in independent baseball, the modern incarnations history. I mean, that those numbers are just incredible to have a sub two ERA in over 175 innings. And it wasn't even like, you know, OK, well, he's walking a lot of guys. He's just getting out of it. He wasn't really allowing many base runners. I mean, what was he averaging about or just under one an inning? I mean, that's that's crazy when you get down to it. And he's striking them out. A fairly similar clip to he's allowing hits. So, I mean, it that season always is just so damn impressive to me. And it never will not be impressive. So, uh, he is the kind of guy, and I know we say it for a lot of the guys that wind up on the 25th anniversary team. But he is the kind of guy that deserves to be on this kind of a list. And... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just happy to see him included here. I knew he was going to be on here. I just didn't know when we were going to get to him. Like, obviously, there, there's a couple more guys. I think we were pretty confident are locks for this team. But at the same time, though, I, I really like seeing that he was in the first five of them that got announced because he really does deserve it. He's probably of the older players. By older, I mean pre- Eh, probably like pre-2010, I guess we'll go, seeing as that's about 13 years ago now, which is kind of crazy to think. But the pre-2010, the pre, I guess, big migration of the original kind of teams, like your Atlantic Cities, Camdens, Norks, mm-hmm. those kinds of teams, when they were still kind of around and kicking, that kind of era, he is one of the premier players from that era. So I love seeing any of them get... uh get highlighted but he's probably one of my favorites from that era so i really i really like this pick for uh, for this team yeah for sure i think it's definitely a no-brainer i mean a lot of these uh on this uh on this list so far have kind of been no-brainer so <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how that how that kind of progresses but yeah i think an easy pick absolutely and you know i, I know we say it all the time when we're talking about the silver team but i really do like the uh the atlantic league doing this I, it really is a positive for them and you know, I, I like to see that they are, you know, kind of respecting their history and honoring that. It, it's a positive, a big positive in my eyes. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And so with that, we'll go to just some miscellaneous pieces of news. There, There's some serious news in here. There's other that are just kind of fairly typical for around here. And then once we get through this little miscellaneous section, we'll get right into our American Association West Division review. 
uh, from the past year. You guys know what that's all about. So, you know, we'll refresh it quickly before we go into that. But we got to hit up this miscellaneous first. And the, it starts with one of our favorite things, which is a team tryout. This time it's the Long Island Ducks. It'll be April 15th at Fairfield Properties Ballpark, the home of the Long Island Ducks. You supply your own gear. Cleats can only be worn on the field, so I suppose that means if you're in the dugout, if you're in the stadium itself, you know, not the physical baseball field, make sure you have sneakers or, you know, uh, slides, something like that, something other than cleats to wear uh, for that. Uh, there's going to be a combine that starts at 8.30 if you're a position player, 10 o'clock if you're a pitcher, so make sure you get there depending on what you register as at that time. And that's just going to include a lot of various things. If you're a catcher, include things like your pop time. If you're a infield position player, then you'll do drills regarding that. If you're an outfield position player, then drills regarding that. A 60 time, you know, that kind of general thing. All the information's on the website, and that's linked in our show notes on our website if you want to check that out. Uh, some will be selected for a scrimmage at noon. And then you'll do the scrimmage, and that's about it. The Ducks do sign players from here every so often, so it isn't terrible. But obviously, with any sort of open tryout, it's kind of touch and go. But if you're looking for an opportunity, it is an opportunity. $100 if you pay in advance, 125 day of. So do with that what you will. Yeah, I mean, it's an open tryout. They all have them. Go if you want. That's about all I have to say. That, that's how we do all of these tryouts. We just put it out there for the handful of players that listen that want opportunities. So uh, We switched to elsewhere in the Atlantic League. We've had a lot of Atlantic League in like the last 12 minutes, haven't we? But uh, Frederick has wrapped up their fan vote for the to name the team contest. And the good news is it sounds like that the fan vote is going to be an important part of uh, picking the team name because they said the name choice will include the fan vote results there are other factors that are going to go into it but by and large they're focusing on the uh, uh, name contest that is the primary method of picking the name it would appear the downside is we're not going to find out the team name formally until June 23rd with their game against the York Revolution, they're going to announce the team name, I would assume, before the game. And they're going to have the team run out there, I would again assume, in like the New Jerseys with the new brand and the whole nine with that. Then after the game, there'll be a fireworks show. I'm going to assume that's weather permitting because you can't shoot fireworks off in the rain. And uh, they're working on building the brand right now, i.e. designing the logo, designing the color scheme. Uh, getting the jerseys together, the hats together, promotional material, that whole thing uh, that's being worked on now. There's a couple of things you can kind of glean from this, but I guess first we'll just go to you, Will, for reactions. Well, I mean, we already kind of hit on the point that uh, that they're not going to have like that team name until, until June, so I won't rehash that. But uh, I do think... You know, I, I'm interested to see what it end, what it ends up being after the after the four thousand votes and stuff like that. I, I'm interested to see what the logo looks like, but you know, the uh, waiting till waiting for the team name until I mean, obviously we, we've talked to the, touched on the reasons why, but 
having to wait till June 23rd is not ideal, but it is what it is. Yeah, see, what the couple things here that immediately come to mind is, yeah, I would have liked to have it for opening day or fairly soon thereafter, but but I really don't want them to rush it either. I want them to make sure it's done right, done well. So I'm fine waiting a little bit, even if that little bit is, you know, two months, it's still not great. But what it also tells me is if you're going to take the time to build a brand and not just do something generic or not just run out these the jerseys with the state colors and the question marks on it, if you're not going to do that for the full year, you're taking the time to build the brand, it tells me that you expect this brand to be there for a while. It tells me that the plan is for Frederick to be more than just a one-year team because otherwise, why would you take the time to go out Build this whole brand up with its own, you know, unique image, its own unique marketing. If this is just a one-year thing. So you're going to put in all this effort, all this money, hire all these people, go through all this kind of expense and hardship for branding for what's essentially boiling down to July, August, and September. That just doesn't make much sense, you know, for less than 90 days worth of you know, use, you're going to put all this work into it. You're going to put, you know, near four or five months into it. That doesn't make any sense at all. So, you know, I, I think that's really what I gather from this. And I think that's the important thing from this announcement is that the plan is for this to be more than a one year team, at least at first. And obviously, you know, if things are disastrous. If they lose my money, like hemorrhaging money, obviously they'll just cut their losses. But I think if it comes close to even, or if it gets to even, I think that's what the new plan here is. Now, that also opens the door to questions, because Hagerstown's going to come in, and then we're back to uneven. So maybe that plan is, let's see what happens in Salem slash Lowell, and we'll just run a traveling team or something to that extent, or just say screw it and go with uneven numbers, although that creates some scheduling issues. You could do either one of those options and run that for a couple of years while Salem and Lowell figure their issues out. And then after that, you know, you go you go into one of those markets and then you're even and then you're at a pretty good number. So that's really the important thing that I gathered from that is that, yeah, sure, we'll have to wait on the design. And as far as this is related to Frederick, you know, in this season, it's it's whatever. It's a minor thing. But for me... The thing is, it doesn't make any sense to do all this and then just call it quits after one year. So that, that's yeah, really what I gather. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I think that um, especially if they were just announce more temporary branding and stuff like that, similar to how, like, you know, the Wild Health Genomes did last year. Yeah. You know, when they're just like, yeah, we're just going to use our sponsor at, at the beginning as, as the second team, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's... Um, I, it seems like it's trending more that way, but they're leaving the door open for themselves. They're giving themselves a way out, basically. If something mm-hmm. goes, if something goes horribly wrong, um, and they're I guess losing money the way that really it appears Lexington did last year, is the running the two running the two uh, Atlantic League teams. So um, yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem like they're planning it to be a one year thing, but still have the opportunity to get out if they need to. So 
don't know. It's a, it, we'll, we'll have to see, but I think that they would not be putting this much into, especially if they're not rushing it and putting it, uh, waiting all the way till June and having the team, having the community help name the team for, uh, for a team that would just last like what a couple, a few months. I don't, I don't, I don't see why they would care that much. Exactly. It, it just, it lines up to tell me that, okay, this is a long-term thing. And maybe that was always the plan and just was never clearly communicated, but it definitely seems to be the way it's trending. So I, I thought it was interesting. And I think that is something that, you know, it could definitely be interesting because the only other thing I could possibly see you using this brand for, if it is truly a one and done year type team would be if you use this kind of like an alter ego for the keys at some point. But even then, you know, it doesn't seem like it makes much sense to build up a brand just to use it every so often. So it's something to look forward to. It's something to watch because I think it uh, it presents a lot of interesting uh, points. But um, yeah, that, for sure, definitely, definitely. Uh, I think it's worth to see, but it doesn't seem like a, a short term thing. Absolutely. So on that note, we do have um, some unfortunate news, some sad news to pass along, which is uh, Matt Porbrieko. Uh If you're in the Indie Well circle, then you definitely uh, know the name at the very least, and you probably already saw, but he unfortunately passed away this past weekend, about a week ago at the time that you all will be hearing this, at the age of 31. And that's obviously extremely unfortunate, uh, you know, seeing the outpour uh, on social media afterwards, both from guys that played with him, guys that were just his friends and everything like that. There was one really great Twitter thread I saw that I'll link in the show notes and I'll try to remember to put it in the bio of the show too, uh, from one of his one friends that, you know, was a baseball guy going through, you know, their whole relationship. It, it was really touching. So I... I that was something that was that was huge too. Uh, personally, I never really had much interaction with him. I, I I obviously knew his name. He was picked up by the Marlins too whilst we were doing the show. He he played for Sioux City as recently as last year, and he just got done with his winter ball season actually about two weeks ago. So, you know, it's it just kind of came out of nowhere as it is. So, as trivial as it may be, I figured we just take a second to mention it and talk a little bit about how great of a pitcher he really was because at first I was like, oh, yeah, no, he was a he was a solid pitcher, you know. I, I remember him getting picked up by the Marlins. I remember him being formerly in the Mets system and kind of he was bouncing around a little bit. He was in Florence for a couple of years. He's obviously been known as a Sioux City guy. He's an explorer. That's what he is. He spent three years there and then I pandemic year in St. Paul. But he really was a solid pitcher. And the more you look into it, you see like over 100 relief innings, a sub three ERA there, you know, over a strikeout and inning type of guy in those 100 innings, only like 26 walks, almost 40 saves. Like as far as and again, it's extremely trivial. It doesn't really even matter in the grand scheme of things to talk about the kind of pitcher he was. But that's really the only connection we have to him is that he really was a damn good pitcher for a pretty long period of time and as a starter he didn't really miss a beat either he had a sub two era and five starts before he wound up going to play mexico for the rest of the summer season so you know it's obviously you mourn the person first and foremost that's the important thing 
But as far as the ball player goes, he was also a damn good ball player too. Yeah, just really, really awful news. And of course, you don't really know any any details yet, any confirmed details at at this point. So definitely don't want to speculate on anything until um, until the official cause of death is reported, which is I would assume is weeks away. Mm-hmm. Um, for usually, usually is, but yeah, it's just really sad. I mean, you were right. Like he literally was pitching in the Caribbean series like a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and which is, which is just crazy to think about and just, just awful news. I mean, uh, there's an, out, an outpouring of support uh, and love from, from the indie ball community for sure. And uh, just from, from former teammates, coaches, and everybody, because uh, and he was he clearly was very well loved, um, and of course a great ball player, but seemingly also a great person as well. And it's just crazy how how quickly things like that can happen. Um, just when you know he's he's going about his winter ball season like uh, like normal, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and pitching in the Caribbean series, and then. Um, and all of a sudden, it's all gone. So just awful, awful news, and uh, certainly a a loss that will be missed by uh, a, a loss that will be felt by so many. Definitely, it it, it is. It, like I said, it losing the person is really the the major the major thing here, and it uh, you get the you get the sense of the impact when you saw you know when the news came out from actually the this Mexican league team was the first person to announce it. And then everybody else kind of saw it from there. Like you just saw every teammate he had, every coach he had, the organizations he played for everybody all kind of came pouring out on it. The only one that didn't really come out with something in the first really, I think 24 hours was actually the American association. They took a little bit longer to get on it. They put something out on Monday, if I'm not mistaken, but it is uh it is deeply unfortunate and you know it's uh it, it's really unfo- it but it's really unfortunate too is you see someone that's pretty young at 31 like you don't expect that at 31 yeah very so very young but you know well wishes to his family though obviously they'll need that this time for whatever it's worth but on that note we do have uh another back half of this show to do so we'll move on to that and hopefully try to prick up the vibe and pick up the the feeling right now by going to our american association uh west division recap here which ironically has sioux city in it but they're a little bit of ways down uh as you guys know we go back we listen to the podcast that we put out earlier in the year the preview version of the show in this case, it's episode 165 for American Association Preview. We listen to what we said about each of the teams, write that down, and then we compare what we had thought was going to happen to what actually happened. And so uh, we are running out of leagues. We only have the Pioneer League left after this week, but we do have the American Association West Division to get to first. And we kick it off with the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks. They were 61-38. and 38 in 2021 that was in the north division they jumped to the west division this year because we'd had to do a whole reshuffling of things and their record improved 264 and 36 second in the west and we had definitely said that this was a top tier team a very strong lineup 
Uh, very solid pitching core. Uh, an elite catching combination, too, between Correa and Boscan. And uh, the only thing that we really said was uh, there was some slight questions around Kevin McGovern just because he was picked up and then came back, and you never really know how that's going to go. Uh, he answered those questions kind of resoundingly, though, by being a top-five pitcher in the league this past year. And overall, I think we were pretty on par saying that they were a top-tier team. They are a championship-contending team. They just had the misfortune of being in the same division as the next team we'll talk about in Kansas City. So we couldn't say that they were a lock to win their division. But they were absolutely a, a top team in the league and definitely in their division this past year. Their playoff lock. And I think everything we said, all the praises we said of the Red Hawks, was fairly accurate because they really did live up to that hype. They really lived up to the billing this year. Yeah, I mean, they, they were elite. At the end of the day, they won the championship. So um, I think that they it was always going to be a two-horse race at the top of the division between Kansas City and Fargo-Moorhead. And that's exactly what it what it ended up being. I, I think they were they were really elite in all aspects. I mean, pitching wise, they were terrific. Um, offensively, even though when you look at categories like runs scored, you might say, oh, they were fifth, but they were still five runs off from Cleburne, who finished second. Yeah. So uh, they were they were right up there. Um, and it was uh, it was and it was amazing to me to watch how. Fargo Moorhead after looking like yeah it looked like they were going to win the division like right in that last week until uh, they had a really bad last weekend of the regular season against Kansas City uh, and to end up losing the the division crown but ultimately um, they were still able to fight back uh, and they were able to knock off Kansas City in that epic series uh, in between the two and, and win the championship. And I know we talked about a lot about it last week, that series when we were talking about Milwaukee, but mm. what was just a joy of a, of a baseball series uh, between the two. And of course uh, the deciding game also. So, uh, I mean, yeah, Fargo Moorhead was just a, a great, great season. Of course that kind of goes without saying when you win the championship, uh, but they finally were able to get over that hump. They've been a good regular season team for quite a while now, um, and over over recent years, finally come to fruition in them winning the title. But yeah, just a, a great team that was terrific all around. Uh, it is you know they they went through the ringer to get to the to get to that championship. They played the best that this league has to offer uh, on that way and dodge anybody. Uh, they they had to go through the ringer. Uh, and they ended up getting it done. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, of course they won the championship, so it was an awesome year, but just it was, it was cool to see them get over the hump, absolutely well-deserved, uh, and um, in what was just uh, a fascinating team to watch throughout the entire year. That Kansas City-Fargo-Moorhead race for, for 100 games was just was just so fun to watch. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> you say I'm a big Red Hawk fan, and you're not, you are. You're not wrong. You know, like I'm. I'd like to see them succeed partially because I love listening to their broadcast. It's actually it's very enjoyable. The other part is because I just like the team. They're a fun team to watch, and they were a very fun team to watch this year. Like I, when in doubt, I just flick over to their game because it's like, be good broadcast, and it'll be a fun game to watch. And that's what I'm looking for. So, yeah, I am, but it's not like I'm rooting against other teams either. Like, I just like to see Fargo do well. 
That said, they were an extremely good ball club. They performed in all the aspects you want. You know, Alex Dubord, fantastic year out of the bullpen. Uh, you had Kevin McGovern have another fantastic season. You know, really looks like the vintage Kevin McGovern. I'm not sure if he'll be back again in 23. If he performs like he did in 22, he should be back in 23 because he certainly earned that spot. But if he doesn't, you know, I totally get it too. That's going off the top. Leo Pena was great as always. John Silviano continues to build his lore by having just a fantastic season, being one of the true power bats there. Uh, Marist, another fantastic guy. Drew Ward did great too. You know, there's so many great players on this team that it really was a joy to watch. Tyler Grower, you know, a guy affectionately called the Big Sycamore. He was a fantastic player this year, too. Peyton Wigington had some moments as well. You know, there are some really, really, really talented ball players on this team. And as a group, they work together, which is something that's, I think, very much underrated, too, right? Like, a lot of times we'll see, oh, look at all these great players here, but we don't know how they actually perform together. Sometimes it just doesn't mesh. Of course. And this group did. You know, there really wasn't any... Any poor spot on the team, obviously, you know, there weren't league leaders in every category. You won't be. That's baseball for you. But when you're third in ERA in a top four or five batting team, yeah, you're going to do well. And everyone in this league had a high ERA as a as a team. Everybody was above four. You know, every, almost everyone was above four and a half. Only two teams were below it. And one team was only below by a one hundredth of a point. So it's not like you're clearing it by that much. So when you put a 4.52 ERA as a group together, it tells me all I need to know. It tells me you're a good team and you're clear of the fourth place team by a considerable margin. So overall, when I look at this Fargo-Moria team, it's just a complete team. You mentioned the playoff series against Milwaukee like we'd spent a lot of time talking about last year. It was an all-time classic. We won't rehash it, but, you know, a truly great series there. And even the game, the series against Kansas City was a really fun series. It wasn't yeah. necessarily the battle we thought, but it was certainly was a good series. And round one against Winnipeg, you know, that was also a really good series. I'm sure we'll talk about it more once we get to Winnipeg in the preview or in, in the review here. But even still, you know, it was a it was a hard fought series there, and this team went through the gauntlet and they came out on top. And so you can't really say they weren't deserving they they fought all year long and they got the reward of it and what we yeah. got was great baseball in exchange for it again i mean they got through i mean they played an absolute gauntlet uh um, throughout I mean, both the regular season and in the end of the yeah. postseason i mean having to play winnipeg and kansas city and milwaukee and and still coming out on top uh, after all that is i mean that that speaks more to it than, than anything and how deserving of a champion uh, that that this that this team was because they 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 played um, they had an extremely tough road and they were able to get through it and that's that's what you get that they were the best team and uh, and that's why they ended up holding up the trophy at the end. Absolutely, and on that note, we go to the the second best team or third best team, depending on how you view it, in the Kansas City Monarchs. They were 69 and 31. First in the South in 2021, a team that we described as essentially a tank because you never really thought they were going to lose. And they kind of ran rickshaw over the rest of the league in 21. So coming into 22, 
you know, we thought this is going to be a top tier team, a very deep team, a lot of talent, you know, all the cliches, all every, anything you could think of that would be positive. We pretty much said about this team and in exchange, they were first in the West in 22, but they only beat out Fargo Moorhead by one game with a 65 and 35 record. That last series was very important. And unfortunately for the Red Hawks, they dropped two or three and that ain't going to work. So, yeah, as far as Kansas City is concerned, a very deep team, very good team, a lot of talent, former major leaguers. I think we counted about seven of them on that team to start the year, and it resulted in a semifinal loss to the Red Hawks. So it was a series that we always knew we were going to get. You know, we always knew we were going to have a battle on our hands between the two. You know, it didn't disappoint. We saw it all year long, and we saw it, you know, afterwards, and frankly... I'm not sure if I call it a great year, a good year, a passable year. It wasn't a bad year. It just, I don't know what to say about the Monarchs because, you know, like, I don't think. It's a great year. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, with the talent and the expectation that was there, you know, I think we all kind of were like, okay, they're going to go to a final, right? Yeah. Look, I I think you compared that to like the Dodgers year last year in in Major League Baseball. They won, uh, how many games they win? Like 107, 108, something ridiculous like that. Um, and, you know, they just came up short in the postseason by playing another really good team. At the end of the day, like, that's that's baseball. And you're going to – and short sample, small sample size in the postseason is what it is. I mean, the, the Monarchs, I honestly – and this is going to sound ridiculous, Nick. Yeah. I almost think that they – should have been better than 65 and 35 when you look at the numbers. Um, I mean, they had the best offense in the league by far. They had the, they had the best pitching in the league statistically. Uh, And again, they, they were coming off a year where they were just so much, so far and away better than everyone else in the league. Um, And, you know, I think in this case, it was always just going to be a matter of, yeah, they're they were the best team in the league on the pa- on paper, but could they get by Fargo Moorhead in the playoff series? And they couldn't. Um, but and that's just I mean I, at the end of the day though it's still I, an awesome year for them. Um, they were a complete juggernaut again, but some but in baseball that's going to happen come come postseason sometimes. And Fargo Moorhead got hot at the got hot at the right time, and they were able to make a couple more plays than Kansas City did and uh, come out on top in those games. But uh, no shame at all because uh, another awesome year for Kansas City, it was honestly, in my opinion, I mean, honestly, them and Quebec, I think you could put them in similar categories as being like the class of indie ball right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I know, and, and of course, Fargo Moorhead, I think, is in that conversation as well. And, and they won the championship and all, but... I think Kansas City and Quebec really are those top two right now. And I think Kansas City at this point probably is the best team in all of Indy Ball. Uh, and and they they showed why last year. Just came up a little bit short in the postseason. But you'd have to assume once again they'll put together another stacked roster and, um, and they'll be right back in title contention again. couple of thoughts off that. First off, I think there's going to be some Atlantic teams that are thinking like, hey, what about us? And the thing is, but still, but like over the over recent years, that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't think I don't think anyone's even close in the Atlantic League. Yeah, that's, that's not that's, that's not a talent. 
that's not really a, oh yeah a, yeah yeah I, I agree with you 100 percent. that's what i was going to say but there hasn't been one dominant team you know there hasn't been any sort of team where it's like okay they're going to be a problem every year it's a different team and i think that's probably a positive because that speaks to you know the parity in the league like five years ago we'd be saying that like oh it's long island or sugarland like they would be in that group because every year it'd be like okay they're gonna make the postseason it's a matter of are they gonna get to the championship or not and if they do which one's gonna kill the other one first now it's like okay long island's been down for a year even the year before that wasn't great and we thought okay maybe it's gonna be lexington because they did fantastic in 21 then just kind of like failed to load in 22 and then who else is there are we really going to sit here and say Southern Maryland? Because I think before you go into that kind of like, they're in this upper echelon tier, you have to win a championship. Fair or not fair, that's that's the rule. Like, you have to win something in order to be, you know, considered upper tier. So, you know, just winning a bunch of regular season games doesn't matter. Winning a couple of playoff games doesn't matter. You need to get far in the postseason you need to win a championship and show me that you're an actual threat for that first so yeah there isn't that and i I agree with you there but i think there are going to be a couple of fan bases in the atlantic league particularly the long island people if i had to you know name names they're gonna be like hey what about us and it's like well for like 20 years yeah you guys would have been in that conversation but uh not right now. The last two or three years have not been great to y'all. So fix it. Change it. Like go into 23 and go win a championship or play for a championship game. Then we can put you back in that grouping because then it'd be like, okay, they're back. But until you get there, yeah. But yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. I do think Kansas City and Quebec are kind of like a tier above. The only thing yeah. I would say is I think Milwaukee and Fargo are both kind of knocking on that door for what it's worth. Not yeah. quite there, but I think Milwaukee especially because it's like they won the one championship, they had a down year, but then they come right back and come what an inning away from uh, from being a champion again two and three years. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. Now it's it's a, it's an interesting conversation to have. You know, I, I just don't know if I could put Milwaukee there with a fifty three and forty seven regular season. Uh, yeah. But I I think that yeah I think Quebec. Uh, in Kansas City are those two top teams right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think just, and we'll move on to Lincoln in one second, but I do think for me when I hear like uh, Kansas City had a disappointing regular season, just from the perspective of, you know, numbers-wise, that's what I was saying where I was like, I'm not sure if it was a great season for them. Like, yeah, you won your division. Yeah, you won 65 of 100 games. That's always going to be a positive. But like they were just so much better when you look at everything in the aggregate that you feel like well, they should have been a 70 win team again. And like, yeah, you're going up against tougher competition too. And there's only so many times you can beat up on the Lake Country, Gary's, and Sioux Falls of the world. But even still, that ignores the fact that the American Association kind of was like, okay, we have two teams that are above everybody else. Then we have about eight teams that are really kind of the same. You know, they're within five games of each other, which admittedly is a bit of a gap. But, you know, they're either a game below 500 or four games above 500. They're not that far apart. And if you played a seven-game series against them, you could reasonably see either side winning. You know, there wouldn't be a clear-cut favorite. And then there was a couple teams at the bottom where it's like, 
you know, you're trying and we appreciate you trying, you know? So it's one of those where it's like when you have a bunch of these kind of like awkward middle ground teams and you're Kansas City, I kind of expect you to just kick the crap out of them, to be honest. Like, I'm not expecting you to beat up on a Fargo or Milwaukee. Those are teams where, you know, they've got a lot of fight in them and they're good teams. We've seen that. Even Winnipeg, we saw, has a lot of fight in them. But there's a lot of other teams here, which I don't want to say they're handing the wins, but they're not the toughest opponent in the world. And I feel like you should be winning more often than not against them. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy to even have this convo, right? That, yeah. Um, they're so good. Right, like, were they just not... <laughs> they're so much better than everybody else. Are they disappointing? Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I, I think you got to look at it from a larger scale and say, hey, 65 and 35 again, and a disappointing end of the postseason. Uh, but at the end of the day, they'll be right back in the thick of things and they'll put together another stacked roster. But yeah, I, at the end of the day... Statistically, they were awesome. Record-wise, they were really good and just came up short in the postseason. But I think overall, still a successful season. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. It was still a, a great year for them. So uh, we'll move on now to uh, the Lincoln Salt Talks. Brett Jody's team, he had just taken over. It was kind of a last-minute thing. So we were kind of like, oh, well, he's going to his first full season. He's going to be able to put together his team with his guys. There's going to be some interesting players on there. Jason Rogers was a guy that we were like, oh, well, maybe, you know, player-coach type of situation. This could be interesting. And uh, it wasn't a great year, 49 and 51, fourth in the West. So there was a downgrade there. There wasn't any improvement, really. Um, And it was a first-round exit. We thought, again, that bats could be a concern. There was going to be a decent pitching staff is what we were thinking there. Kyle Kinman was a name that we kept looking at. Uh, Shearshire was another guy we kept looking at. There was some potential. We really liked the potential, in fact, here. And we did think there would be a playoff team, which they were. Uh, but there was a lot of depth concerns. And overall, I think the best way of summarizing the way we looked at this team was, you know, if things go the way they can, this will be a team that will make the postseason. Probably won't win around because look at the two teams that likely play. But they will be a playoff team and that will be a successful year for them. Or if things go very poorly, it could go off the rails, but they're more likely to go right than wrong. And how right we were, I don't necessarily know because under 500 isn't good, but they were a playoff team. But this way the playoffs work kind of, you know, you're going to have some weaker teams get in. So, you know, good, but not great team, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of just what they were. Eh. Yeah, I mean, very mid the. They were very mediocre. I mean, and honestly, they and they got hot at the end just to get into the playoffs. Really. Yeah, and yeah, they, 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 they snuck had, in. It, I mean, honestly, it looked like Sioux City was going to was going to had a pretty close to a lock on that last playoff spot, and then Lincoln got red hot down the stretch, and they certainly deserve a lot of credit for that. But I mean, they were carried by their pitching, which was fine. Uh, offensively, they really struggled, though, um, and that's something for really for the second straight year that they've struggled with offensively, um, and they're going to have to try and figure that out. Uh, but honestly, uh, they were they were never going to win a round in the postseason, <laughs> yeah. uh, realistically. 
and they got into the postseason, which I guess you can consider a success. They just snuck in over Sioux City. But, uh, yeah, I think you're, what, what you're hoping for, I think, if you're Lincoln, is what like Winnipeg has been. Yeah, like a, a team that is that is six to eight games over five hundred, uh, and you're you're trying to give one of the big dogs a run and see what happens in the in the playoff series. And Lincoln wasn't that, so I think in year three under uh, in year three under Jody, you're looking for there's going to have to be some sort of leap this year that you're looking for, um, because it has been uh, it it certainly has been, eh so far under Brett Jody. So I, I think they, they had a great end of the regular season. They deserve a lot of credit for it, but still a, a largely mediocre baseball team. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's the, that's the thing here. Like I like some of the guys there. I mean, Josh Altman was a guy I was very high on and he had a fantastic year. And that's the thing. Like there were players here. And I, I'll grant them this. They did lose Justin Bird to Mexico part of the way through the year. And that's a huge loss, but there wasn't really, I think the best way you're saying is they they didn't give you a reason to watch every night because it was like, hey, they're going to be all right. They're going to be fine. I think you put it the best way. They're a mediocre ball club. And I do agree that, you know, what we've seen from Brett Jody tells me that there is more that he can do with this ball club, but you'd like to see a jump coming up in year three because we haven't seen it yet yeah especially with the pitching like that's the thing like i don't expect brett jody teams to hit they normally don't hit that's not what they do but they pitch well and lincoln didn't like that's just that they're middle of the pack pitching wise and like i I understand some of it's due to ballpark and where you're playing and i get all that but like i don't expect the brett jody team in any league, really, to have an ERA above five as a team. Like, that just isn't really him. So, yeah. Uh, I think hopefully in 23, at the very least, let's see one side of the ball get really good. You can still be literally the same on the other side. But if you get really good on one side of the ball, we'll call it good. Uh, in that case, though, we have the two Sues in Winnipeg left to get to. So let's get to them. Sioux City's up first, 53 and 46, third in the South in 21. If you'll recall, they had had some late dramatics to get into the postseason in 21. The Apollos, you know, beating Lincoln was a feat to manage to get in there. We weren't really sure what to make of this team. They were definitely a borderline playoff team. They proved that with a 49 and 51 record to be fifth in the West, which missed the postseason on the pretty much last day of the season. Uh, and so it really wasn't, um, we weren't high on this team. One and done at best, some interesting names, and there really was just a lack of starters on pitching concerns in general, is what really kind of defined the Explorers preseason for us and I think it's fair to say that that was a a somewhat realistic concern they were upper half of the league in pitching but just barely they're more middle of the pack pitching wise and I think a lot of their kind of pitching success is aided by the fact their bullpen wasn't bad yeah I think that 
when when you look at Sioux City again, a, a rather mediocre ball club that fell off down the stretch again, it looked like they were going to be that number four seed in, mm. in the West Division, and uh, and you know awful last week of the weekend of the regular season, it ended up costing them their season. Granted, if they made it, they would have gotten wiped by Kansas City. So yeah, I mean... so yeah, like we could talk like playoffs, whatever, but the result was going to be the same. Um, I think when when you look at at Sioux City, the pitching was fine. It, the pitching was actually pretty solid. I'll give them solid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the offense there was just there's just not a lot of pop. Uh, and I think coming down the stretch when the pitching wasn't great, uh, and they just the offense struggled to struggle to score runs. I mean, they they didn't hit over a hundred. They they hit under a hundred home runs on the season. Um, it's just just not a lot of pop uh in particular um and it really hurt them i think come coming down the stretch of the regular season when you know you're seeing you're seeing teams best arms and stuff like that in the thick of the playoff race uh and the the offense was just just continued to sputter uh down the stretch i think when of course you could look at the standings and say hey lincoln and sioux city very similar teams because they finished with the same record and they were fighting for that last playoff spot, so no duh, they were similar teams, but they really were similar. They pretty much were like yeah. carbon copies of of one another, um, really. So I think that it was just kind of a eh, season for for Sioux City, certainly a a disappointing end uh, for sure. But the the offense just just really struggled, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't good enough to be any any sort of legitimate threat in the West. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. This team was never going to beat the upper tier of it. But, I mean, the, the starting pitching, the area we had a lot of concern with was the concern and was the problem. You look at their five main starters, guys that were 11 or more games, because after that, it's just guys got contracts purchased that were let go. And that's Beardsley, Wendell, Ledette, Hedges, and McKenna. Only two of them had sub-five ERAs. McKenna in 20 innings had a four-and-a-half ERA. Fine, you know, 100 strikeouts too in like 119 innings. So pretty solid, actually. Not a terrible year from him. Under 40 walks, too. But then you look at Ledette. Okay, he was probably the best one on the staff in his 19 starts, 428 ERA. Then you have a 571 from Hedges, a 505 from Wendell or Wendell. And then Tyler Beardsley had an ERA over six in 11 starts. So. Um, not great. Uh, that's obviously going to be a major issue. And then when you go ahead and you're like, okay, well, what was the bullpen like? You had Max Coons that was ran into the ground throwing uh, 49 innings or 59 yeah. innings in 40 games as a reliever. Not great. Sheesh. Still third a 3.2 ERA, by the way. So fantastic season by Max. And uh, it's no surprise he got picked up. He deserves that. Uh, Hardy threw 52 and a third innings in 23 games, although Grant you three of those were starts, so we'll give him a break there. 479 ERA. Uh, Boschers, uh, 48 innings, 37 games. He had an ERA over 6.4. McElrath, uh, in 40 games, he threw 45 innings. And then Lennox, in 31 games, threw 38 innings for a 470. Um, what I'd be willing to wager happened here was Sioux City was able to kind of run this system of have a mediocre starter for four or five innings, then 
hand it off to the bullpen for six, seven, eight, and nine, and hope that they hold. And it worked for a while until it stopped working, and then the wheels came off. And this kind of goes to you need one or two starters that you can reliably say, here's the ball, go win a game. And they didn't really have that. Yeah, you could argue, you know, like McKenna maybe, Ledette maybe, but you need better than that. And when you don't get it, you're going to really run a pitching staff thin. And when your your batting numbers are just kind of like, okay, some pretty all right type players, it's not going to really work. And it just, uh, you know, I feel bad for some of the guys. <laughs> like, say, uh, Chase Harris, you know, a fantastic fielding player who got better batting-wise. I kind of want to see him on... Uh, I want the better teams in this league to really see his potential. But, you know, overall, I think it, they kind of were what we thought they were. And uh, it's kind of disappointing to see because, well, you know, you'd like to see more. Yeah, they were who, who we thought they were, as, as Dennis Green would say. But I yeah. think that... Uh, I think you make a good point though, because that stra- that uh, if you have you know mediocre starting pitching and a bullpen that you could turn over to it, that can work for short term. That can work in a, in a short term, oh, yeah. in a series, in a playoff series, of course. Over the stretch of a hundred game regular season, generally will not. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's I think that's what we saw, and it's I that's I think exactly why they had the poor end to the season that they did. Um, because a lot of those guys were, were getting worn down. And even if yeah, they ran out of Lincoln, even if Lincoln, they won one more game and made the playoffs, I think the result would have been the same anyway. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, there's it, it just a mediocre club that, uh, that had a little bit of talent, but kind of ran it thin and uh, just ended up having a poor end to the season that cost them their season. Exactly. Now without, uh, without your best reliever, I'm going to be interested to see what their season looks like next year because I think they could return a lot of the same guys. And the thing is, if you went out and got like one or two like solid bats and one really good arm, I'd like them as a playoff team. I think they could slip into that like two or three spot, but they're just very mid and that's just not going to work. But we go to a team that wasn't quite as good as Sioux City and that's the other Sioux team and Sioux Falls. 36 and 64, fifth in the South the previous year. We had very low expectations. I believe we said there was about five players that were worthy. And I believe I used the term, I don't want to say there's nothing here because there's about four or five guys that I really like. But outside of that, and then I just kind of left it hanging there. And um, yeah, uh, that was pretty accurate. They were 33 and 57 I have written down here, which doesn't seem right, but I guess it is. Uh, and frankly, even if it's 67 as opposed to you 57. It's 67. Yeah, okay, like, so I just miswrote it. Frankly, you know, it, it adds, all, all the numbers are supposed to add up to 100, Nick. I know they are. That's why I was like, I'm, I looked at it, I was like, that's not right. But frankly, here's the thing. What we just did right there was more effort than the Canary season. Because you won 33 games. I mean, like, that's marginally better than the Apollos. Like, come on. Let, let's let's do better than this. I feel bad for Jabari Henry that he's in Sioux Falls and that this this is his team. Like, 
I feel really bad for him because this team is not doing anything. I wrote down explicitly in my notes from the preview, no answers, only questions. And frankly, there's nothing positive to take away from this team. This is a, just a bad team. The pitching sucked. Yeah, they kind of just weren't good in, in any sense. Uh, I think 33 and 67 uh, speaks for itself. Uh, offensively, they were the worst in the league. Um, so, again, that the whole thing of, well, they have probably about four to five good players on the team, and that kind of, uh, that kind of led to be. And they were the second worst team uh, on the, uh, as far as pitching, and Lake Country was the only one that was worse, which is not a good category you want to be in, uh, given how poor they they were pitching wise last year. So, yeah, they it was just not a good team. I don't I don't really know how else to say it, uh, but and they, they had a poor end of the season. They it was just a really 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 rough season, uh, and especially in that division, everyone kind of just took turns beating up on them. Uh, and especially the top dogs, and there was just there was just no shot they were ever going to compete with that with, with that roster, and it's exactly what happened. So, uh, just yeah, we I know we expected them to be really bad. They were really bad. Uh, we'll see if they'll be less bad, but I'm I'm not that optimistic about that. Yeah, there's three guys I want to kind of give some credit to, which is Gavin Lavalley, who managed to hit over 300 with 20 home runs on this team. Wyatt Ulrich, which is one of the best contact hitters in this league. I'm kind of surprised he didn't stick with, I think it's San Diego that purchased his contract. I'm kind of amazed he didn't stick there, but fantastic player he is. And uh, I don't know how, but Jabari Henry managed to hit nearly 30 home runs for this team. Uh, hey, he's really good. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't. Yeah, uh, uh, Jabari Henry's a stud. I really uh, wish unfortunately, that just on a poor, on a bad team. Maybe, like, but everyone, everyone seems to like get traded to Milwaukee these days. Why can't that man get traded to Milwaukee? Because unfortunately, he made his bones in Sioux Falls. I think when they were like the Sioux Falls pheasants too, and uh, now he's a player coach in that position. So I really feel bad for him because he's kind of stuck there. But there's still hope for Wyatt Ulrich. Anthony Barone, please go get Wyatt Ulrich. Get him out of go there. Go get him. This, this might be tampering and might be illegal, but that's okay. We're, we're here to break rules. We're here to save this man's career. Don't let Wyatt Ulrich waste his time in Sioux Falls. Go get him. Because if not, like Kansas City's going to go do it, and you're just going to have to deal with that come September. So, like, go, go, go get him, Anthony. Go get him out of there. Someone go get him. Like, please. But I will, like, here's the thing. The pitching sucked because the starting pitching was got off. I mean, you know, when your best starting pitcher is, I believe it's Neil Lang, and in just under 100 innings, he had an area of five. You know, that's not great. But there was some positives from the bullpen. Like, there was three or four guys that were decent. Farrell was pretty good, a guy that I think I mentioned in the preview. I don't recall if I did or not, but I remember saying Farrell's a guy I like. He had a 173 ERA in 26 innings, so pretty good. Dunaway in about 23 innings had a 238. Uh, Garkow, who I believe just got dealt. I forget where I, I saw him got dealt, but he did get moved. In about 27 innings, he had a 270. Hasty in about uh, just under 50 innings had a 369. Those are decent bullpen players. Everything else sucked, though. If you take away those three guys, none of them really were great. Uh, all of them had ERAs above four. Some of them in the bullpen, other than that, uh, you're not great. 
Although I do like how they had a regular starter who had an ERA of uh, over 780. That's a positive. Actually, they had two. Yeah. They had two like that. Yeah, so not great. Anywho, we'll move on because we have one team left and we want to get uh, this preview wrapped up. And that's the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, 50 and 49, third in the north. Uh, We had a lot of expectation in the sense of they were finally going to get stability. They weren't going to be playing in Jackson, Tennessee or out of Newman Field. They were going to be a home team again. They're going to get to play out of Shaw Park. They're going to get to play out of Winnipeg. Yeah, they had all the pieces there. And what would wind up being Rick Forney's last year, they improved a little bit. 53 and 47, third in the West. We said there were going to be a lot of minor gains, minor additions here. Certainly a playoff team. The 3-4 spot was really where we predict them, and that's exactly where they wound up in. Uh, an improved team with this ability. While they lack stars, they had a lot of depth. Some pitching concerns, mainly in the bullpen, but overall a solid team. And I think that was fairly accurate to say. Yeah, I think, look, they were a good team. Uh, I think it's more just a matter of who they were, who they had to play so many games against in Kansas City and Fargo Moorhead. Like, I almost wonder if you put Winnipeg in the East, what would happen? Yeah. Um, and not even, and I don't, I don't think it's, it's that fair to just say, like, oh, 53 and 47. Like, yeah, like, they, they'd be one game out. Uh, they'd be one game out of the a division title. I wonder just with, they'd, I mean, they might be the best. They might have won that. They probably would have won that division. If they, they certainly were, make if, it interesting. They, they, they probably would have won that division, honestly, in my view, if they were, uh, if they were in the East. So uh, I think that, look, I mean, pitching-wise, they were they were solid. I mean, this is this for the most part was a, a really a good a really good team, I and mean, they were they were very well rounded. Didn't have many holes, uh, and unfortunately, they just they just didn't have the star power that set that Kansas City and Fargo Moorhead had. In that in that just gauntlet of a div- top of the division race, so but I, this is this was a good squad uh, for sure that had a lot of depth that it just didn't have the star power. I think that that the that those that Fargo Moorhead and Kansas City had, which made it tough for them to kind of stick with them in that division race. But I, I think Winnipeg knew that over a hundred games that they weren't going to compete with those two. But I think they were thinking, hey, just get to a just get to a playoff series. Uh, and in a small sample, anything can happen. Uh, and, you know, and, and I think that was probably the way they looked at it. And that's, you know, baseball, so that could happen. But I almost wonder if they if they were in the East Division, I, I think that they could have won it and might have won it uh, if, they, if they were in the other division. But, yeah, it was definitely a, a good squad, a good year uh, for the Gold Eyes, just not good enough to compete with the Monarchs and the Red Hawks. Yeah, I think uh, with Winnipeg, what would have been interesting is them playing Milwaukee. I think that would have been a fun series. Also, what really kind of doomed them, and I think they probably would have been able to beat Fargo if, you know, Max Murphy's leg didn't get broken on a home plate collision. That That's kind of a major factor there when you lose the league MVP in, uh, in the middle of a playoff series. That's going to hurt you a lot, even though, granted, you know, Fargo did lose Silviano, but I'm not sure if those are exact comparables there. Either way, uh, one thing that really stood out to me when you look over this team is they didn't have any real stars. And, you know, there was guys that contributed up and down. Yeah, but they found their own ways to have performers. Like Murphy came out of pretty much nowhere. Like he had good years in the past, but never anything as good as, you know, uh, over 300 with 30 plus bomb type season. You know, Raul Navarro, a guy I mentioned in the preview because I was like, everyone sleeps on this dude. 
he had six home runs over 50 RBIs and he hit over 330. Like, can we start mentioning him more? He's a solid player. Uh, David Washington, again, another good year. 99 games played, 30 home runs. They found guys to come up and do well. Sagdahl, another guy. Kind of in that same vein as Navarro. High average, low home runs, but got the job done. Like, they found guys to perform. The depth worked out for them. And overall, you know, they looked good. They replaced guys they missed. Tasker Strobel was fantastic out of the bullpen as well. Zach Ryan, another really strong bullpen guy. Blanton, for while he was here, was also very good. You know, there was a lot of really solid players. Ramirez and Barasa, they were two solid enough starters. I mean, you would like better than a 432 and a 450 as your top two guys, but they were able to get by. They were almost able to, in a sense, kind of run the same system that Sioux City tried, but just do it better. And they had more offense to back it up, and that's why they were successful. And, you know, I don't think they would have ever gotten through Kansas City. They struggled to get through Fargo. You know, and, you know, I can I understand again, you know, Murphy's a big loss. I get it. But still, they were a surprisingly good team. And they're another team, I think, where their record doesn't, you know, tell the whole story. Like you said, I think in the East, they're a much better team. I don't know how much better just because, you know, in leagues of this size, you're kind of playing the same teams. It doesn't really matter divisional wise. But I do think the result is a bit different just for playoffs alone. Obviously, there's tough teams in the East, but it just felt like Winnipeg was a really good team that just had a misfortune of being against elite level teams. Agreed. I think that's exactly. I think how you said it at the end is the is the perfect way to uh, is the perfect way to phrase it. I think that uh, they just weren't elite, uh, and it, it's so tough in the division, but certainly a good squad. And hey, first year with, in, in the first year without Rick Forney, we'll have to see. Uh, what kind of changes? Uh, what kind of changes are made if they go about things differently, and if they're able to keep up this, uh, this level of success? Absolutely. So, on that note, uh, we kind of went over the kind of wrap up thing last week. We'll just rehash that quickly. We both had Milwaukee versus Kansas City. You had Milwaukee will in five. I had Kansas City in five. So you came a little bit closer on that one, but we both were kind of lockstep there. You had Jan uh, Hernandez. John Hernandez for. MVP with Michael Bowden as a pitcher of the year. Not quite there. Uh, I had Josh Altman and Kevin McGovern in those roles. Again, not quite there, but both were finalists. So, you know, we all, we both came kind of close in a sense. But uh, that's all we have for the American Association. That is our American Association review. Hopefully it was what you expected and more. Uh, that said, we will do the Pioneer League next week. I'm not sure if we'll, which division we'll do. You'll find out when you get here. And we'll find out probably 24 hours before we record it. So that said, we'll go to the plugs and we'll get out of here because now we're running a little long. Uh, if you want to find the show, you can do so on social media at IndieBallPod on Twitter at IndieBallReport on Instagram, and at ALPB underscore news as well. If you want to find links to anything we mentioned today, the tryout, you know, the Hinchcliffe article, any of the articles uh, mentioned, or you want to go back to the podcast we mentioned, namely the American Association preview one, you can do so on the website, IndieBallReport.com. We also have articles and stuff up there. We're getting those firing 
up and again. So we should keep an eye on the website for that. And you can find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, all those locations and more. Great review if you can to support the show. That said, do you have anything else left to add before we close out the week? Pretty quick for me. CAA, CAA tournament starting for the Hofstra Pride on Sunday. Uh, coming in on an 11 game win streak. Number one seed, 16 and 2. Um, traveling down to DC Saturday morning. So when you're listening to this, I'm probably going to be in my car on the way to, on, on the way to Washington, DC. So, uh, uh, I don't know. Let's hope there there's some hardware next next episode. Some some hardware to talk about and an NCAA tournament preview. Yeah, hopefully, and I gotta say, it's my only thing that you did a pretty good job on that uh, broadcast. You did. You mentioned it last Thank week. Thank you, sir. Yep. I I was gotta say, I was I really enjoyed listening to it. It gave me a nice distraction from whatever the hell the Washington Ranger game was. That about halfway through the third, I said, "This is just not going to work." And so I just started watching the Hofstra game for the rest of the way there. And, you know, I thought we weren't, weren't doing good. Then I saw Northeastern. I was like, oh, God, it's a bloodbath. Yeah. And so uh, that, that, was a, that was a good one. Although I do respect the guy that took two goal tens at the end to prevent that. Uh, oh, to prevent the walk-on walk from seeing the ball going through the basket. Yeah, that was a that pride. Was... <laughs> that was a pride thing. He's like, no, not going to happen. And on some level, I respect that kind of pettiness. Yeah, that that big who did that was yeah. absolutely terrible all game. He was yeah. just awful. So I, I think that it was it was a it was a fun game, uh, a, a game that was not competitive down the stretch, and yeah, it, it was it was really cool. It was a cool environment. So hopefully, there's more to come down in down in DC. But quarterfinals start Sunday, so take it one game at a time, and you know, go, go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be back with you again next week. But until then. Don't forget to play ball.